Yes, we love Lord, here in this house of prayer for all nations, in whatever language is the language of our heart, we say together, we love you, Jesus. You are worthy. Thank you for the gift of your grace. Thank you for the table which reminds us of your sacrifice. Thank you that we have the joy and privilege of experiencing fullness of life with you. And now as we prepare our hearts to receive your word, we open our hands, Lord, as a posture of opening our hearts and minds to receive. You are the eternal word. Come with your living now word for this day and speak into our lives out of the fullness of who you are, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to need a little help from some ushers, if I could. This morning, um, we are continuing a sermon series entitled Growing Maturity. And, uh, no, this is fine. I just need these distributed. So, um, we have a, um, for Lent, uh, we're doing a series entitled Growing Maturity, and we have a spiritual adventure workbook. Uh, that goes along with each week. And if you have not yet received one of these, would you hold up your hand and keep them up until our ushers can find you? If you have not gotten a Growing Maturity workbook, raise your hand, keep your hand up. You've maybe been working in the back with kids, your guests today, just uh, been out and about. Here we are. Keep those hands up so that our ushers can find you. Uh, Maybe, Everett, can you take a couple and go to the other side over here with some? Arthur, can you give some to Everett there, right behind you? All right, good. So keep those hands up until you are found. So there's a bunch over on this side. Everett, Everett, over on this side, there's a whole bunch right over here. So the need, all right, good. Keep those hands up. What's that old commercial? Aren't you glad you used dial? Don't you wish everybody did? All right. Those arms up. All right, good. While the ushers are finding you, uh, just take a moment to, again, uh, welcome you to this house, a house of prayer for all nations, safe place for strangers, become friends, friends become family. My name is Pastor Jim. As of April 1st, which was Tuesday, I celebrated my 24th year of serving as the pastor here at Bethel, and uh, profound privilege and joy to, uh, to serve all of these years here and to watch the goodness of the Lord unfold among us. Um, as we were preparing for this year, 2014, very clear word came into our heart about growing maturity and a very specific scripture that actually came uh, in the context of our Pastors Connect when we meet as family of church pastors uh, Pastor Litovic, who was here facilitating earlier, actually brought this scripture to us from Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And the picture we have this year is of our roots going deeper, our trunk getting wider, our branches spreading further, our leaves uh, becoming more vital, and our fruit maturing and ripening in the Lord. And during these eight weeks of Lent, uh, we've entitled the sermon series on growing maturity. And 
our definition that we're working with is loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves freely and fully. And so over the last several weeks, as you've been uh, looking through the workbook or you've been here, you can always pick up, um, if you miss some, you can get those uh, online at our website, BethelTwinCities.org, or you can sign up for CDs in the back, and there are CDs generally available from the weeks prior with PowerPoints if you uh, have missed some and would like to kind of reconnect with the flow of uh, what we've been speaking about. Um, Pastor Ben spoke a message a few weeks back on spiritual maturity, and the principles that we're looking at here are living freely means to live with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to lose. Living fully means to live fully with all of our heart, love fully, I'm sorry, is to love fully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The practice that we've been working with throughout Lent is an ancient practice called the examen, which is simply asking the question, where is God moving and how does he want me to respond? It's a simple question that you can ask throughout the day, at the end of the day, early in the morning, whatever it is, but just, Lord, where are you moving and how does he want me to respond? One of the prayers I've had over the years, uh, early, uh, in John it talks about, where I am, there will my servant also be. One of my prayers has been, Lord, where are you going to be today and how can I be with you there? Okay, so a similar kind of thing, um, this examen, all right? We looked at stewardship maturity. Um, Pastor Dale Van Steenis shared with us uh, some principles about ownership, that God owns everything. Uh, responsibility, responsible to steward well the time, talents, and treasures he's given us. Our accountability is that we're going to be held accountable for the stewardship of his trust that he's given to us. The rewards will be rewarded in eternity according to our stewardship here on earth. The practices have to do with secret generosity, blessing someone without knowing, and consistent generosity. We have a promise card that's on the back table that you can pick up uh, if you want to uh, just hold yourself accountable before the Lord and maybe alongside of somebody else in the body, or you can put it up here in the ask box, um, about consistent generosity, giving a tenth, our offerings, our benevolence, uh, which we gave this morning. If you missed out on the benevolence, we always have a benevolence box in the back which you can give to help those in our community and beyond. So those are that consistent generosity. And then a couple of weeks ago, I shared a message on vocational maturity, uh, recognizing that our vocation, our call to be his, which is our call, all of us are called to have a vocation to be his people and his priests. A priest is one who speaks to people on behalf of God and speaks to God on behalf of people. We are in the priesthood of all believers. According to Second Peter, we're all priests in the house of the Lord, not just those who stand up front with a microphone. The occupation is the work through which we live out our vocation. All right? The principles are the covenant, the purpose of God's work, the commission, our participation in God's work. The context is our place in God's work. The practice is our service, which is work under the Lord that benefits people, processes, projects, whatever. It's pouring out into the world where the need of the world and our gifts and talents and abilities and the call of God intersect, all right? Then last week, uh, Andrews gave us a great message on emotional maturity, the principles of self-awareness, self-control and self-motivation and empathy, and the practice of letting go and letting God. I don't know if you've been practicing that this week. The, the, uh, these are the things I'm hanging on to. I'm going to let them go, and I'm going to receive, Lord, what you have in my life, just another of those ancient practices of releasing ourselves and surrendering more fully and deeply to the Lord. 
Well, this morning, we are going to continue our series, which we're running towards an end. We've got three more weeks today and the next two weeks. Next week being um, relational maturity, and the Easter Sunday, we'll be talking about multiplying maturity. But today, we're going to be focusing on mental maturity. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse uh, 3 and 4, and it will be up here on the screen as well, and it's in your bulletin. So we got it a lot of places, and this is a marvelous scripture. Actually, uh, Liz Kimmel brought this scripture to me several, several weeks ago, kind of towards the beginning of the year, and it's been kind of mulling around in my spirit ever since, and this is the moment where we get to uh, kind of bring it forth, all right? It says, by wisdom a house is built, through understanding it is established, through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So the question that we're going to be unpacking this morning is a simple one. Upon what and how is our house being built and furnished? Upon what and how is our house being built and furnished? That can be our house collectively. That can be our house individually. That can be our house as a family unit, um, as um, some of you live in discipleship houses. You live in a dorm. You live in a dorm room, whatever kind of situation. But by what? And how, upon what and how, is our house being built and furnished? Now, in some circles uh, that we walk in, um, intellectual growth and development and all of those kinds of things can sometimes be looked uh, at a little bit askance. Um, You've all heard the the funnies of, you know, uh, yeah, Uh, You certainly don't want to go to cemetery when they're talking about seminary, you know, or, um, you know, just just in somehow, in some ways, uh, intellectual or mental maturity sometimes gets downgraded uh, in sometimes evangelical or Pentecostal or charismatic circles. And uh, Pastor Sam found this great little, you know, he, he does like inter- internet, st- internet thing. Is that internet thing going to catch on? I don't know. Anyway, okay. So anyway, I uh, found a great picture here. Um, God Almighty hates book learners. All right. And um, so I should have put on my, I have a t-shirt that says, I cannot live without books. I should have put that in juxtaposition and. He could have hollered at me for a while. Uh, And if you look at those scriptures, they really have nothing to do with book learning at all. I mean, literally nothing to do with it. Well, that's certainly not our posture here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. We believe in the development of the mind. We have a leader and training apprenticeship program. We've done a lot over the years with our Leading Edge Discipleship Training School. We have lots of folks in school 
a lot of Mac students and Northwestern students and Bethel students and St. Kate students and St. Thomas and the University of Minnesota and whatever. And we believe in growth, in mental maturity, in intellectual development. But I want to put this this morning in the context, this mental maturity, specifically in the context of our scripture today about wisdom. So when we're talking about mental maturity, we're not simply talking about knowledge of facts. I want to talk about wisdom, all right? Wisdom. Can we get a little air here for a moment? Thanks. All right. So I want to talk about three principles of mental maturity. Three principles of mental maturity. Because a person whose house is built on wisdom, 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 exhibits three characteristics. If your house is built on wisdom, your life is going to exhibit three characteristics. The first characteristic is understanding. The first characteristic is understanding. If you still need a booklet, we've got some more made now. Just raise your hand, flap your hand up a little bit. If you still need a booklet, anybody else? Okay. Understanding. We just completed a series uh, at the beginning of the year on Colossians. Let me return there for a moment to Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So two things that I want us to notice here in this principle about understanding. The first is this. Understanding means that we will have an insight into God's will, his purposes, plans, and perspectives. An insight into God's will, his purposes, his plans, and his perspective. So in our lives, we want to think about our life and the world around us Christianly. If I were to use it theologically, which which simply means the study of God, it's, it's we, we think about things, I mean, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says we no longer view people from a worldly point or a worldly perspective. Even though once we did that, even with Christ, we viewed him that way. But we no longer do so. Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns, the behaviors, the value systems, the worldview of this world. Don't be conformed to that but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. So there's a necessity for us to experience 
if our house is going to be built on wisdom, there needs to be this ongoing transformation, a shaping, as it were, of the very perspectives of our mind, our thoughts, the way in which we look at the world around us, the way we look at the circumstances that we're facing. We need and desire this insight. And it comes out of being filled with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I'm very excited this Thursday in our leader in training, Carol Warner, who was our executive pastor for many years, is going to come in and speak to our uh, leader in training students about inspirational leadership. And last year, when she came and, and taught us, it was one of the highlights of the year. It truly was, because she shared about how God, in the context of her work as an executive VP at Wells Fargo, how God gave her insight in wisdom, even in the midst of that, that that she was able to look at situations and circumstances from God's purpose, plan, and perspective. You see, because so that you may live a life worthy, Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. You see, the second thing here is that there is an ability to skillfully engage our vocation and our occupation. See, the Lord wants to develop skillful people. If you're a doctor, if you're a plumber, if you're a bus driver, if you're a teacher, if you are a psychiatrist, if you are a social worker, if you are an engineer, if you are a writer, if you are a fitness instructor, if you are working in a nursing home, if you are working in the fast food industry, if you are working in whatever it is, area and arena of your life, it is God's purpose and desire. A house that's built on wisdom has the ability to skillfully engage our vocation and our occupation. I don't know when the last time you did this was, but I want to encourage you to do this. When you are doing your work, whatever it is, so I'll pick on Amy Hernandez here. She does her work, her handwork, through which she's producing things, beautiful things, that people will purchase to buy. All of those different kinds of things that she does one of the things that she can ask the Lord for is a skillfulness, a creativity that's beyond just your natural ability, right? I don't know if you do that, but I think you do, so I could pick on you. So that's a way for us to begin to think about mental maturity. Mental maturity is a maturity that has an insight into life and the world around us. In fact, it should be at the point where people would actually come to us and say, wow, can you help me with this situation? I, you know, um, when Phil Watson is trying to figure out some engineering thing or when he, God sends him over to, to, uh, uh, to, uh, blah, 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 uh, Singapore, all I can think of is Senegal, Singapore, and he's setting up a lab for 3M in Singapore, 
you know, he needs an ability from the Lord. He needs to be able to have an understanding about what's going on cross-culturally, about the, you know, right? I mean, you were kind of in a dependent place, yes? Yes. All right? We need that. Whatever it is that God has called us into, we need to have the ability to skillfully engage our vocation and our occupations. Does that make sense? So understanding is one of the characteristics, it's one of the principles of mental maturity. We can turn off the fan now. That's good. Thank you. Cooled it off enough here. All right. The second thing is discipling. Mental maturity, another characteristic of mental maturity is an ongoing process of discipling. In other words, we don't arrive, we continue to grow towards. I think it was Longfellow who said, you know, when he was asked how it was that he continued to produce marvelous works, poetic works, into his old age, he pointed at an apple tree and said, well, how does the apple tree grow beautiful new fruit every year? Because it grows a little new wood every year and out of that new wood. So every year... You know, there's nothing more tragic than seeing an older person who's only grown old and not wise. I mean, just gaining years does not necessarily mean gaining wisdom. As I've said many, many times here, and my Labrador retriever, Mabel, who's almost 15 now, is living proof of this. (laughs) You know, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. Okay? (laughs) That's really true, okay? So you can, we can continue to grow in wisdom. And I was captured by this picture, and I just love this again in, back to Proverbs 24, through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. What are those rare and beautiful treasures? I've been reading through Kings and Chronicles and, and all of the furnishings of the temple and all of those things, and and and. and I asked myself as I was reading that, what are, the, what are the things you want to furnish this temple with? What are the rare and beautiful treasures that he wants to furnish the rooms of our lives with? And I think discipling helps us understand what some of those rare and beautiful treasures are. I love this scripture in 2 Peter 1. It says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. God, help us not to be nearsighted and blind, but help us to make every effort. I just heard this quote this week, and I can't remember who the, it was was a quote from one of the great older saints who said, um, maybe it was Dallas Willard. He's not that old, but he is deceased now. But he he said this, that um, grace and effort are not opposed to one another. I'm paraphrasing. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. 
Grace is not opposed to effort. It may be opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Make every effort to add these things. So here are some treasures that we want to have in our lives. We want to have faith. You need to make every effort to depend on God. Make every effort to enter into the rest of God, it says in Hebrews. Well, that seems oxymoronic to say make every effort to enter into rest, but we have to continue to run to dependence upon God. That's what faith really is at its essence, is trust in him, trust and surrendering to him. That's that dependence. We need to add to goodness, virtue, doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. That's what goodness really is. It's practical wisdom. Years and years and years ago, like almost 30 years ago, somebody uh, preached a sermon here in this house that I still remember the title of. And some of he was preaching out of Proverbs, and he said, "Common sense isn't so common anymore." <laughs> but we want to add common sense, wisdom. Doing the right thing, the goodness. That's what goodness is. It's both a to be, but it's also a to do. It's learning to do the right thing. Knowledge. Knowledge has to do with intimacy with God. Not just knowing about him, but truly knowing him. We're just saying, knowing you, there is no greater thing. But this really has to do with developing intimacy with him. Remember, Jesus gives us three calls. The first is come to me, which is the call of salvation. Then the second thing he says is come after me, which is the call of of discipleship. And the third is to come with me, which is the call of intimacy. It's the call to come close to him. I want to be with you, he says. Isn't a life marked by intimacy with God just a beautiful, beautiful thing? Self-control. To grow in response-ability. Response-ability. So much of our world is marked by reactiveness. People all around us reacting at work, at school, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store, on the street, whatever it is, you see people constantly just reacting. But self-control means that I'm going to grow in my ability to respond. That's what responsibility means. My own ability to respond to something rather than react to it. It's a beautiful thing when self-control, a mature person, his, his or her rooms are filled with these rare and beautiful treasures. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, strength in adversity, grace in suffering. The saints down through the ages, I mean, this is what has marked Christians from unbelievers down through the years. I mean, this, the martyrs died singing. There was incredible amount of of um, 
there was incredible ability to persevere in the face of suffering. To finish well. Some of you are suffering. Some of you have been suffering for a long time. Your lives become a testimony when you suffer in adversity. I mean, Jean Swenson back here, I mean, she's a, a mentor to me in living this out, Jean. You truly are. I watch how you live that out. I mean, you, I come home and I tell Annette, you know, or like, you know, that I'm like, you, you, I, I'm like under the table <laughs> after I talk with you and you share about when there's times when you've been suffering significantly and your response has been, this enables me to have greater understanding and to pray more deeply for the suffering church around the world. And I go, okay, I'm going to sit down now. I'm done. Okay, thank you. But that's response. Thank you, Gene, for walking that out, living that out. That is that's the ability to respond to suffering. You see this? It's what a mature believer does. So when the suffering comes, I mean, certainly it doesn't mean that we deny the pain or deny the discomfort or deny the, the weight of that suffering, and yet it doesn't define us. We persevere. Godliness. Godliness, you know, that sounds so, you know, it sounds so mystical and sort of amorphous, and how do I get a hold of that? Well, godliness simply means a submitting to God's will and then serving in his kingdom. Listen, obedience means to listen and do. So it means that I'm submitting myself to him and then I'm stepping out in service to his kingdom as he instructs me. It's a beautiful thing when you see godliness in the life of a mature believer. Brotherly kindness or affection. Andrew's been using this word and I love it. I think it's just the right word, treasuring those around us. People aren't targets. People aren't tools. People are treasures. And one of the characteristics of a wise person is that they treat those around you as a treasure. C.S. Lewis has a quote in The Weight of Glory, which I will not be able to quote, but the essence of it is this. If we only saw people as they truly are, as God sees them, we would be so humbled that we would be on our faces when we recognize that the people around us as creations of God created in his image and all the fullness of how God has made them. So the next time you're working and, or you're interacting with that clerk, the next time that you're interacting with that difficult person at work or at school or whatever situation in your neighborhood you find, remember that a mature believer treats one another with affection, with treasuring of those around us. And finally, loving. 
He ends with love, of course, which is the foundation again. So I won't go back into this, but our definition of maturity, loving God, loving others, loving ourselves freely and fully. That's kind of the capstone of wisdom. That's the capstone of discipleship. A mature disciple of the Lord at the end of their lives should be known for this, for loving God and loving others freely and fully. Loving God, loving others, loving ourselves. All right, one more characteristic, and then we're going to bring it home. Humility. Humility. This is the third characteristic of a mentally mature disciple of the Lord. The first is understanding, the second is discipling, the third is humility. At the beginning of Proverbs 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about terror? Are we talking about anxiety? I don't think so. What we're talking about is a proper posture before God of humility. Of recognizing who he is and who we are and how we stand in relationship to one another. So a mature, a mentally mature disciple nurtures a posture of humility. A mature disciple doesn't always have to be right. A mature disciple recognizes that sometimes there are other perspectives that have significant importance that we need to listen to. In the uh, workbook that you have, Andrew Gross, uh, who put together the vast majority of this, um, we talk about humility sees with sober judgment God, ourselves, and others. With sober judgment, and he uses this, this thing. He says, an immature thought pattern always has an either-or mentality. But a mature thought pattern can see things as both and. We like to always, we always want to move things into categories of either-or, but maturity means that I can see things as both and. Um, an immature thought pattern come making assumptions. So we always are making assumptions about people, about things. You know, we're always looking at stuff and we make assumptions about that versus temporarily suspending judgments. An immature thought pattern jumps to conclusions. A mature thought pattern checks in. So somebody comes at you at work about something and they're really aggressive and assertive. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to jump to conclusion 
Or are you going to check in and say, man, I, you know, I can see that this, this issue is something that's really passionate for you. Why don't you tell me some more about that? Do you understand? A, a humility says, okay, I have a perspective. I have a conviction. I have an, under, you know, uh, this is where I'm at. And yet, I'm able to hold, as it were, intention, other perspectives, other thoughts, other ways of looking at things, and still hold my perspective, and yet learn or grow or stretch or maybe be challenged or maybe come to a fresh understanding. This is one of the things I love, and this is not flattery, this is reality. I want to to speak a word of gratefulness for the elders in this house. Because I have had so many conversations with pastors who have had such different challenges maybe with elders or people, people who've been in the church a long time who sort of have become pillars in the church and they never move anymore. But we have vital pillars in this house. We have elders who are able to live in that place of some dynamic tension. And we have great prayer and conversation and dialogue about significant issues. And God continues to stretch us and grow us as men and women of God as we continue to press into his heart. I love, we have mature, what I'm saying to you is we have mature elders here. We have mature elders. They're not just old. Okay? And they're not even that old, all right? Okay? Right, guys? Gals, you're not old. All right. But they're mature. I love that. I love that. All right. Our practice today, so that should say practice, our practice today is confession. Our practice is confession. And again, Andrew lays this out beautifully in here, but let me just give you some quick highlights with a scripture first, 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord, who confesses the name of the Lord, must turn away from wickedness. Now here's this picture of the house again. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purpose. Some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, the common use, will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So not only are there these beautiful treasures, but but really what we're talking about is usefulness. Sanctification means usefulness. It's not some kind of, you know, I I, I don't, you know, um, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. You know, that's not sanctification. That isn't. Sanctification is usefulness in the kingdom. It means my life is postured and developed and formed and shaped in such a way that there is kingdom usefulness flowing through my life. 
So what does confession have to do with? Well, confession has to do with coming into agreement with God's truth in his word. Through confession, we check our thoughts, our feelings, our perceptions, our interpretations with God's reality. And the more we live in God's truth and reality, the more freely and fully we will grow in maturity. So confession, yes, it has to do with confessing our sins, coming into agreement with God about those things that are sinful in us where we are out of alignment, where we're not in true with God and his purposes. But it's more than that. Confession also just has to do with just our normal everyday living, taking the thoughts and the feelings and the perceptions and interpretations and bringing every thought, what does the scripture say? Take every thought captive under the lordship of Christ. That's feelings, that's perceptions. Yes, we have the full penelope of feelings in our lives. Andrew talked about that last week. Those feelings aren't wrong. What it is, though, is how are, we, what, how are those being shaped and formed in us? Are they being shaped and formed into God's reality? Does this make sense? So this is an ongoing daily, it's not just the confession of our sins, though it is that. It's more than that. It's bringing our lives and orienting them and aligning them to God's truth and reality. Which brings us back to understanding and discipling and humility. Confession helps us move deeper into this mental maturity, into wisdom with God. Okay? Worship team, come on up. Go ahead and hit the fan again. I'm hot again. All right. So our last scripture is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, is a magnificent um, collection of teaching of Jesus about maturity. I mean, if you want a holy mackerel, you could spend the rest of your life just unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after he's laid out all of these things, he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice like a foolish man who builds his house on sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a crash. I don't know about you, I want to build my house on a rock, not on sand. Are we uh, singing May the Mind, James? Are we going to sing May the Mind? Is that okay? Good. All right, I didn't know if you were going a different direction. But... All right, so I have a song that I learned when I was in college. Um, some of you know I went to Wheaton College. Um, and this was kind of our, this was the, the theme song of Wheaton College, I guess it were. And I love it. It's, it's, 
It's a prayer, and it's got six stanzas, but it's short. But I would like us to pray it today. And then I'm going to open up the altar, and we're going to give a benediction and prayer. But I just... I just want to contend in this house for maturity. And I want to contend for wisdom. I don't want to just grow old. I want to grow old and wise. And I want this house to grow in wisdom. Not just simply in numbers. It's wonderful. We're growing in terms of amount of people. We're growing in, you know, breadth of nations. And all of that's marvelous. And all of that's wonderful. And I want us to grow and put our roots down deep into the wisdom of God. And I want my children to grow in wisdom. And I want the children of this house and the young adults of this house to put their roots down deeper into the wisdom of God. I pray, and I'm going to come back to that scripture. By wisdom a house is built. Through understanding it's established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Let that be our prayer. Let's stand together and sing this prayer. May the mind of Christ, our Savior, live in me. May. For years, I kept the words of that in my Bible, just as a prayer. That's somebody who knew something about maturity. Let's open our hands. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer this day. That your mind might live in me, live in us from day to day. That your love and power would control all. that all the words of these stanzas would be worked and become true in our lives and in our hearts. Oh God, grow this house. Build this house on wisdom. Let this house be established with understanding. Through knowledge, may the rooms of this house be filled with rare, precious, beautiful treasures. And I pray that for each one who is a part of this house in whatever way, whether a first-time guest today or has been here for over 40 years, God. And now may you be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy and goodness will chase you down every day. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as we make a transition here, let me just ask you to do this if you could. Because there may be those that really God spoke to you something today.
And we're going to continue in worship. And we're going to ask the Lord to take our lives, our hearts, and form and transform them. And so I'm going to open up the altar. If you want to come... talking about emotional maturity last week and this week we'll be talking about mental maturity but in um, in the context of this song you know the freedom that we have is with uh, Christ's arms open gives us a very safe place to be emotionally and mentally mature and sometimes we have different ways of relating to the world and um, for those of us who are very emotionally geared um, it's actually, it is okay, and it's safe, and it's a gift to all of us to be, to have those of us who are emotionally geared to express that in really beautiful ways. And um, mentally, in the intellectual sort of realm, and for those of us who kind of may deal with some of the intellectual strongholds that can happen, this is a really safe place for the freedom that we just sang about to be um, where we can walk into that freedom. Um, and so we had uh, talked about be still and know that I am God from Psalm 4610 last week. And um, it feels like such a good connector for this week. We can be still and know that he is God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you command us to be still and know that you are God. Through stillness, we can be in your presence and enjoy you. Help us be still. Through knowing that you are God, we gain strength moment to moment as we depend on you. We gain confidence through faith even when our thoughts are less than confident or even downright skeptical. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. that the Lord has just been working in my heart for the last several weeks. It's from Isaiah 42, verse 13, begins in verse 13. It says, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent and I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. And I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But to those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Amen. This morning, we're going to be coming to this table 
prepared by the hands that reached out in love and opened their arms to us. And he is the mighty warrior who stirs up, stirred up his zeal to even go to the cross in humility before the great suffering that he would endure on our behalf that we might be free. And some of us have been waiting, you've been waiting with expectation and waiting, like a woman in childbirth waiting for that delivery to come. Well, he's leading us along unfamiliar paths. He's working, but he says, I will not forsake you. And this table reminds us, he has not forsaken us. So we will not turn to other idols. We will turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'm going to ask our elders to step out. I'm going to ask Pastor Litovic to help me here at the table today. And our ministry coordinators and Himalayan leaders, please come step now. And we have another word here. Millie's got a word for us. want to um, share this word with you this morning that I read this morning, and it goes along with what Pastor was just saying. Our God, the creator of this universe, will never forsake us. But I want listen to this word this morning, and I'll just read it and let it speak for itself. It says, now that I, now what I command you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near. It's right here. It's right here. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. See, now this is God speaking right into your heart right now today. So listen with spiritual ears today to hear what the Spirit's saying. It says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if you harden your hearts, if they turn away and you are not obedient and you're not and you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land and in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. But this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land, he swore, to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And our prayer is, God, give us life. Choose life today. You have the decisions in your hands. And God has poured out his grace so that you can say yes to life. Will you say yes today? So that you could partake in the broken bread, his body, and the poured out blood, the wine we're going to drink. Choose life today. It's the best way.